any kind of um, addiction, any kind of way of comforting ourselves. And I would say porn is a way to comfort uh, that has come from not experiencing a mom and a dad or a caregiver that has seen you and cared for those deep needs. And that's where, the way we were created. We were created to be connected to our family. Welcome to The Hope Project. On this podcast, we talk about matters of sex, sexuality, relationships, shame, and so much more. The goal of this podcast is always to bring hope to your sexuality and freedom from any unhealthy views you may have been taught growing up. And if you've enjoyed what this project is aspiring to do, then there are a couple ways you can support us. First, you can leave a review on the channel. This helps us stay relevant to the audiences we are trying to reach. Second, you can go to our Patreon and see how to support us financially. We are so grateful to all the people who have supported us and continue to support us on this project. This episode is a part of Season 2. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the trailer for Season 2, I recommend you do that now before listening to this episode. On today's episode, we have Roe and Jim joining us again. This is Part 2 of a two-part conversation on our families of origin. If you haven't yet listened to the first part of this conversation, you should go do that now because this podcast will pick up exactly where that one left off. I'm excited for you guys to hear from them. Let's dive on in. So I guess thinking of, I know some people, um, I'm not going to say any names, but they're, they're 40 years old, 40 plus years old. And it's like, okay, well, I've been this way for 30 years. Why? I can't change at this point. You know, it's been 30 years. Why Why would I even dive into family of origin when I can't change? This is this is how Mio's are. <laughs> we are we are Sicilian. We have, you know, pizza mm-hmm. bellies. We are mm-hmm. we are loving and generous, but we are workaholics and alcoholics and gambling addicts. Mm-hmm. This is just how we are. There is no hope for change. I just need to figure out how to just make it work until I die. So what, what, what would you guys say to them? Because I know so many people that's just like, this is just how it is. You can't change this late in the game. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. But I know your guys' story is very different from that. Uh, you know, the only thing I would say is that um, I, I think you can change, and particularly if you ask God one question. You know, how, how God, what, where would you start? You know, hmm. uh, what would you want me to look at now, today, first? Uh, what could be better? What could, what could be different? What, what are you willing to redeem now um and that's what happened god inserted himself into my life and basically uh forced the question and so i said yes let's go let's go let's go figure this out and because it is the path opening up to god uh and i even if you're not a believer opening up your heart let's just say that um Opening up your heart to the question, you know, what's how could I be better? What could what what does wholeness look like? Yeah, uh, is there really you know? Uh, yeah, maybe it's all this tradition and generational stuff, but mm. what does it really look like to be whole and and to be what I'm supposed to be? You know, what I really want to be, and and God, that's an invitation for God uh, to, to open that door and of uh, to to start you down that path of of wholeness and yeah. health. I think what you just said about this person, the scenario you just gave us, was a person that was saying that, um, 
why do I need to change? I can figure this out. Mm-hmm. The question is, how does everybody around him feel? <laughs> and that that is that's usually the reason. They think he needs to change. <laughs> somebody says, okay, we've been married 20 years, and you've been looking at porn for 20 years. We have a terrible sex life. Uh, we need to get help. Uh, usually it's somebody in the family that says we need to get help. Um, it starts somewhere that with in relationships. And as I had worked at a university and with undergrads, oftentimes it was the, the girl. I'm dating a guy and he has a pro- pornography problem. What do I do? She's the one coming in talking yep. about it. Yep. Usually that's usually where it starts. Or when there's difficulties in a family, somebody in the family is unhappy. So a scenario you just gave sounds like he thinks everybody's fine with the way he is, mm-hmm. which is what we experienced with uh, some of the people in Jim's family who think everything's fine, but they were not, they were they, ha- they held all the power in the family. Mm-hmm. And as long as they hold all the power, they probably won't change yeah. because everybody allowed them to have the power. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, my parents... Not that they're exactly fitting the scenario because I didn't use it as just a cover. Um, but they're kind of like, man, we're broken and messed up and we know that. But look at our kids. Like our kids turn out great. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess we like we did something right or it was a miracle of God. But I'm like, okay, that's true. Your kids did turn out quote unquote great, although we have our issues. But it's like, don't you want fullness? Like you maybe you got half half goodness of life right now mm-hmm. but I'm like don't you want the fullness like a fullness of marriage a fullness of family a fullness of self and normally it, it's just too hard mm-hmm. like 30 years of work and patterns and habits and to like start to unravel some of that is is deeply like troubling because it's you're you're taking away the fabric of your being mm-hmm. in some ways to kind of create a new one and I'd rather kind of walk with my limp than have to re-break my leg to be able to sprint um, I'd rather just kind of make it work. Um, but I, it bothers me because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a very lustful person, not just sexually, but just I want all of life, like everything yeah. it's possible to yeah. give me. And so when people settle for just like, ah, this is just how it is, you know, that's just, you know, a meo typical relationship. I'm like, no, I'm like, I can I will not, I cannot settle for that. Um, but so many people in my greater extended family and in my friend group are just like, good enough <laughs> like and maybe that's just i'm overzealous um but I, I do wish there was more of that kind of like that oh man i want to grind out counseling and grind out therapy yeah. so yeah. that i can have a more full yeah. experience and i think even for christians it's like hey the way you're interacting with people is probably how you're interacting with god yeah and so if you're unhealthy and are relating to your wife it's mm-hmm. not just her yeah like it's probably god and if anything, Christians know they need to work on their relationship with God. <laughs> if they're blind and mm-hmm. in, in denial about their relationship with others, they know with God they have to work on it because we're very, you know, pharisaical in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know if there's a solution to that other than, Ro, you just talking about, like, you just, you're just in a denial. And it's normally someone else in the family that's coming. It's not the person who has the big problems they need to change. It's, it's normally, like, with a couple I know dating it's the girl coming to me to mm-hmm. ask, how do I deal with my boyfriend's porn addiction? And I'm like, wait, I'm friends with him. Why doesn't he just come to me? Well, he's, he's nervous of how mm-hmm. you're going to think about him. He's scared of what others might know. He doesn't want this to get out. So maybe like, we'll just tell you and that's it. Yeah. So what, what would you guys say to, 
I don't know. I mean, you can't force a man or force a woman to seek help. But when their partners or their family is coming to you, how do you walk alongside them? Well, I think one of the things that we have done with couples where there's one party that is really wanting to see change, we encourage them to find some community. Um, You can't force someone to want to get help. You can't force them to want to change. But you can find the help you need and um, be a better person yourself. And so that's what you need to do. Because when you change, you're going to change the dynamics between you and, and the person you're married to. Or even if you're engaged or dating someone, if you change, the dynamics in your relationship will change. And that will either make the person want to not be married to you anymore or want to date you anymore. Or they will want to join you in finding out and understanding their own story. Mm-hmm. I think that makes it the most attractive. Like if, if one partner's really growing out of unhealth, even the other one who's maybe more unhealthy will be like, oh man, like yeah. <laughs> what they're doing, I want some of that. Like yeah. I want some of what they're doing. So I guess moving from that, let's talk a little bit about needs because I think we talked about comfort and connection and family of origin. Um, but within family of origin, what kind of role does needs play into it? And specifically like how we learn to relate our needs and voice our needs. Um, how, how does that f- play into your older relationships once you grow up? You know, and I, can I just go back a little yeah, bit on what we just said? Because uh, I think it does kind of bridge things. Um, I think there's a question I've learned to ask recently. Um, ask, actually ask of God, or it could be you could ask this of yourself. What don't I know that I need to know? And if I knew that, how would it change things? Uh, as an example, um, you know, so my dad is way out here on the edge of the narcissistic continuum. And... I've been asking that question and I've realized, and I don't know if this is psychologically sound or not, but in terms of just the, but I'm, I'm convinced, I think now that my codependency is actually on the other end of that continuum. So narcissism is on one end and codependency hmm. is on the other end. And so I'm no different than my dad. Hmm. As narcissistic as he was, I'm as codependent as I am. And only recently in the last six months have I really come to face to face with, wow, I am really codependent. I don't know what my needs are. Hmm. I live my needs. I, I, I live my life through somebody else's needs. Hmm. In this in this case, my wife. So I do think that it's, as a codependent person, <laughs> that it's really important to uh, be able to articulate your needs and to, to un- you know, understand what you're missing what you don't have that you need and uh, and to be able to say this is what I need uh, mm-hmm. I, I think so few of us really know how to do that we're not mm-hmm. even aware of what we need we're, mm-hmm. we're either codependent or we're so narcissistic or that we we have this really jaded view of what we think we deserve you know mm-hmm. and so uh, we go out looking for whatever that is which I think a lot of men would probably be in the same camp of codependency. I mean, yeah. we often think men are more probably more likely to be narcissistic, yeah. but I know so many guys that are, in a sense, living their needs out through their wife's needs. Yes. Like, they don't even have any needs, technically. They just work, yeah. <laughs> make money, and then have fun yeah. 
but like any type of emotional need of intimacy of desire yeah. of want of love of compassion of peace yeah. it's it's only from the spouse yeah. like mm-hmm. they almost learn to not need anything and just become completely um, yeah. codependent it's almost like the self-sufficiency but it's codependent because I'm completely reliant if that spouse is now gone for a week yeah. I don't know what to do with myself yeah, right. um, mm-hmm. because I have become so wrapped up in their needs and meeting those needs that yeah. I've missed out on actually meeting my own Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would say that Jim started the journey a lot longer, uh, several years ago, not just six months ago. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, yeah, we would right, ask right. the question, yeah. what do we need? What do we want to do on vacation? And we've been on this journey of trying to figure out how to play because play mm-hmm. has not been a part of our, was not a part of our childhood. And now we've had to learn how to play as adults and we continue on that journey. But I think deprivation that lack of your needs being met as a child is the beginning of of disassociating it's the beginning of finding other ways to meet those needs and that's the same for women and men maybe i'm not looking at porn but i've discovered oh i don't i'm not seen and heard and so i can use my body to be seen and heard by mm-hmm. men it's mm-hmm. unhealthy but i got some attention and that's what happened yeah. with my own journey is Somehow, in, when I got into high school, I discovered guys thought I was cute. So I used that to my advantage to meet a, a felt need of yeah. needing to be known. And it's it a, worked. It's a false reality. And it worked in some ways it, it in did. terms of like Absolutely. you did felt wanted and you did Absolutely. felt needed. But uh-huh. it's not in a way that's actually rooted in true depth and security no, because it's, it's fleeting. It's basically... Whether or not that guy likes you today or tomorrow is completely now the whole reality of mm-hmm. whether or not you're wanted. Yeah. So what would you say, thinking of my own story, um, my mother was very attentive to my needs. Like, I woke up in the morning, what do you need? Do you want French toast? <laughs> do you want you know pancakes? Do you want waffles? Do you want an egg bagel sandwich? Still to this day, when I go home and visit, I wake up in the morning, what do you want? Like, what do you need? Like, She's already cooking French toast because she yeah. just knows I love French toast. But I think in me that created almost a suffocation of, man, this is this is so much. She is so almost dependent. She's almost so codependent on me having a need that it's bringing her purpose <clears throat> yeah. that it made me kind of stiff arm. That's what I chose to do as a kid. I stiffed arm her kind of needs and wants. Even though she was asking about my needs and wants, it felt like her she was very needy. Yeah, that's not really it, – it's very common for us moms to try to meet our children's needs through food mm-hmm. but that's not meeting your emotional needs no exactly yeah and so in my story what happened was is that my mom knew me really well and what my to-do schedule was because she was driving me around places she knew really well on what my food preferences yeah. were and she knew me really well and like maybe my <laughs> performance in terms of grades basketball whatever but for her that maybe seemed like it was a whole ball game you kind of saw who your child was through watching those events but for me i felt like she didn't know me at all mm-hmm. um, and still now as an adult we've been talking about and working this through I mean like I feel like I feel loved by you I feel cared for for you by you I feel like if I ever have a need you guys will fulfill it too quickly like won't even think about it like you'll just give me money yeah. but I'm like I want you guys to almost maybe take a step down from those things and get to know me like as a as an individual um, so well it's a lot easier to meet the physical needs than to meet the emotional needs <laughs> just uh, yeah. last week one of our children called and wanted to have a conversation and 
you know, it takes time to sit and listen to somebody's story and to listen to their emotional heart, if you will, the, the heart of what they're feeling and to really reflect back what you're hearing and be with them in that. And that might be why we're so quick to not meet emotional needs because it's time consuming. Mm-hmm. And I might just throw in the term moralism as believers Christians can be very moral instead of wanting to understand spiritual theology where we're following a relational God. Moralism is doing the right thing. And and that relates to this because you have to be connected to your emotional needs to have a spiritual theology. And mm. I'm not going to take the time to try to break that down <laughs> here, but knowing what you're feeling and, and needing at every moment of throughout your day is important. Mm-hmm. It's important to developing a healthy self-image and and a help a healthy connection with other people comes from knowing you what you need and when you yeah. need to protect your heart too. Yeah. So how how do you guys see this playing out maybe in in your marriage but also looking into other marriages? How have you counseled couples mm-hmm. and like okay they figured out their family of origin root of how they related needs or how they pushed away needs? But how do they then work on, as a couple, or even in friendship, kind of practicing voicing needs and allowing their needs to be met? Uh, you know, I think it's, it's practicing to, to ask the question, what's, so what's really going on in your heart right now? Uh, I think if you just ask that question uh, on a regular basis, that the other person, the, the spouse, could is forced to really think about, well, as opposed to, well, I'm hungry, I have a headache. I need some you know, French toast I right need, now. Yeah, Mom. whatever. All the physical <laughs> needs that we we use as excuses to avoid the conversation about what's really going on in my heart. Because maybe one, I don't really know what's going on in my heart, or two, I know but I don't really want. I mean, maybe not. Don't want to say it because I don't feel safe or whatever. But if we persist with that question, what's going on in your heart? Eventually, I think the real honest conversation will start to emerge. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we really do value asking a lot of questions, and we try not to fix people. We try to ask them questions and help them come up with the solution on their own, and, and we do the same thing with each other. So um, yesterday, we, as we were saying, we spoke at our church on family of origin, and we told them that the number one thing we want you to leave with is the value of asking each other questions and staying in the conversation until you have a sense that you've gotten somewhere and understanding better what's going on between us. And mm-hmm. that can be very hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's, it is very hard to do. It's really hard to do. I mean, you have to really, it's really hard to do. We, we struggle with this. We still struggle going down deep into that and, uh, and really sharing pl- from places that are deep. Do you guys think one of the, the key fears underneath kind of the whole voicing needs related needs is rejection? That I'm, I'm scared that if I voice this need, you mm-hmm. won't kind of reciprocate it or meet it, so then I'll be rejected. Or I become so voicing of needs because I'm so scared of rejection that I'm just going to throw kind of a shotgun shell at you. Um, where it's just like hopefully one of those gets met and then I'll feel kind of accepted. Because I feel like for me, rejection has been a huge part of why I don't voice needs. Because mm-hmm. if I don't if I don't have any needs, I can't be rejected. Yeah. <clears throat> I think for me, it's a different word. It's it's being misunderstood. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's so frustrating when I'm trying to articulate what's going on in my heart and somebody 
reflects it back and it's just it's all no no that's not what I meant mm -hmm. so my inability to really articulate the depths of what's going on is really frustrating for me because I I feel like some oftentimes I'm misunderstood mm -hmm. and maybe it's maybe my motive and maybe my motive is wrong it could be I don't know I need to ask that question while I'm unpacking all this as well what is my motive here but mm -hmm. um, it's it's really it's a subtle thing I think as mm -hmm. well yeah getting into family origin, we've talked about comfort connection we've talked about needs um, and those are things are some big root root things but something that's I think in a sense rooted in a root is triggers mm -hmm. um, and so thinking of triggers kind of how, how do triggers play out not only in like porn triggers because I think especially that's one of our focuses of this conversation like when you get triggered to go masturbate or lust or fantasize or look at porn but also just like other kinds of triggers where you just get ticked off <laughs> um, or you just it triggers you to voice needs even harder um, how do triggers play into a marriage or a friendship or a relationship and how do you work through understanding your own triggers and being able to kind of devalue um, their impact when they do happen because you can't avoid them um, but you can learn to kind of work through them yeah. well the, we understand that we have um, a lot of <clears throat> unconscious things that drive what we do there's the iceberg um, analogy there's the peeling the onion a trigger comes from something that has not been uh Resolved. It, you get triggered by something, uh, you don't know why, so now you have to learn to how can you deal with it. Sometimes we use the term hidden heart. Your hidden heart is leaking. Mm -hmm. It leaks when you're in certain situations. Um, we, we went to a, a party in L.A. Friday night. It was somebody's birthday, and it was a, at a very very wealthy home and there was a lot of wealthy people there there's a lot of people that work in the industry uh, the music industry uh, our actresses some friends of ours that we've known from here at where we work but there was both Jim and I felt some insecurity mm -hmm. and um, we were triggered by that so there's the opportunity when you recognize that you're feeling something to talk about it, what, what was going on. And, um, and so that's what you have to do. You have to take the opportunity when you notice that you've been <coughs> triggered by something, you're feeling something that doesn't feel like it fits the situation. Got it. So now let's, let's talk about that's it. What I, that's what I was going to ask is how do you even diagnose like a yeah. trigger because I know well you can you can have triggers all day and totally <laughs> ignore exactly, them exactly yeah. absolutely but I think what I was saying about if you can't name it you can't address mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. well we're talking about triggers we're talking about something that's happened and you don't you don't know what you're feeling or you're wanting to leave the, the room or you want to lash out in anger or um you're feeling very disappointed in this person, or you feel fear, um, those are p places where you've been triggered. So if you're, if you're in a moment, in a situation, like you're at this house party, and all of a sudden you just like, I'm really angry. And if you can't name what's making you angry, <coughs> there it then is. yeah, you need to, you yeah. kind of almost need to stop and learn like what it is. Okay, oh, I got this, I'm really anxious. Mm -hmm. Okay, being able to name that. And some of this may be clinical. 
Um, but in non-clinical cases, like, okay, I'm really shameful right now. Why is that? And if you can't, like what you're saying, exactly. if you can't name it, yeah. then that's where the work needs to get started. Absolutely. At. And but, oftentimes we don't want to name that we feel shame, mm-hmm. that we feel inadequate, um, that we're not worthy in some way to be at this party. <laughs> <laughs> and and <clears throat> without even thinking, we automatically go to the unwanted behavior. We start to yes. focus on that, and so then we have a con- why? You gosh, you got so mad. What was going on there? And or not? I mean, you know, it's just the conversations about the unwanted behavior, and and then don't have the wherewithal, or the consciousness to go back and say, "One, wow, what triggered that?" And so if we could really get in the practice of identifying triggers and talking, having that conversation about triggers, I think they're really critical because there's, mm-hmm. it's it's around identity then, oh, I must feel inadequate or something, you know, there's something there that's triggering me and it mm-hmm. could be from my family of origin. Mm-hmm. You know, I was raised around a bunch of people that thought they were better than they should have been or whatever, I mean, all those things that, mm-hmm. that, that come up when you're in a situation like that and, uh, Without being being able to identify the trigger, then you just then you're just talking about this unwanted behavior and what can I do about it and I need therapy and all that thing, yeah. you know, which is for sure. But but I mean that's the that's it, it gets avoided. Which is why I think a lot of guys can, which <laughs> Ro might disagree with me, but a lot of guys might be able to stop looking at porn. But if they haven't diagnosed their triggers, if they haven't diagnosed their root, they're yeah. just going to act out in a different way. Yeah, right. It's like good job, you stopped the behavior, and that's a good thing. Yeah. But it's just going to morph yeah. into mm-hmm. a different kind of behavior. Yeah. So how do you how do you build safety into a marriage where if Roe is triggered by something, you, Jim, are a safe place for her to kind of come and process that with you? Because she may not be able to name it right off the bat. Like you're at this dinner party and you are both aren't maybe able to name it right away, but you have the safety with one another that's like, hey, this is what I'm feeling. I have no idea where this is coming from. Can like we just process this together? How do you build that kind of safety? You know, uh, that's an interesting question. And as I think about that, uh, we've gotten the practice of debriefing everything we do. So the question we often ask ourselves after something, whatever, just like going home from the session that we did yesterday, how was that for you? Hmm. <laughs> how was that for you? And and it just opens up the opportunity to say, well, yeah, I was, I was, it was this way. And mm-hmm. then same thing for me. <clears throat> so it's, I think that's the only thing that we've really done. I think that really, mm-hmm. when I think about it, just being, f- feedback is really important to us. We've learned that feedback is really important. And if we can get good, honest feedback, then we can learn and grow from it. And so how do we, how do we engage ourselves in that process and what questions do we ask? And I think this. But we have community too. And we have community, yeah. We we recognize that sometimes we have to talk to somebody else hmm. about what was triggering about that situation than talking to each other. Uh, it's hard for us to talk about sometimes about our children. Um, they're grown, but um, if something is going on with our daughter, it, w- it, it will be more emotional for us. And mm-hmm. I might need to talk to my good friend, Debbie, who lives in Missouri, then... Mm-hmm try to talk to Jim right now about it. So mm-hmm. we all need community. Mm-hmm. And when we were preparing for doing this podcast, we listed a few things that we felt like people coming out of some kind of addiction, not just porn, what do they need to do? And one of them is um, 
being in community. You have to find groups of people that you feel safe with. Hmm. And sometimes you have to create that group. Yeah, because I think a lot of people are waiting yeah. waiting for it Which to just is, happen. Well, we have been waiting our whole life, <laughs> and we have discovered that we yeah. we create our own safe group. We invite, hmm. okay, we like this couple, and we like this. <laughs> and our first really great community was three couple or was it three or four, four, four couples, couples we invited to be in a small group and it was we told them right from the start this was going to be a vulnerable group and now we're in another group and it's the same it's mm. been but we're intentional yeah. yeah we're intentional we're not taking so we had to assume a leadership role mm-hmm. of some sort uh and to be intentional with that vulnerability yeah and um it's it's not easy people come kicking and screaming <laughs> but, but you can once, al- but always they, yeah. go to celebrate recovery yeah uh aa there are places where we can find community for a season to help us know what it feels like to be seen yeah how does how does truth telling play into kind of triggers and hidden heart um, and thinking of okay the reality is i i have some friends that like Hey, let's. How did that go? That question, Jim, that you guys asked. How did that go? Yeah. That only works if you tell the truth. Right. Right. Um, so, what what would you say to a couple who like? Either, neither of them probably know fully if the other one's not telling the full truth, but for them internally, they know themselves if they're not telling the whole truth. So, how important is it to kind of tell the whole truth? Yeah. And maybe that's not every debrief situation, um, <laughs> but how important is it to to tell the whole truth? Yeah. I mean, I think of the verse in the, the in the New Testament, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free and set you free. And and I I truly believe that. I mean, once you learn or once you practice telling the truth, the freedom comes, and you feel that sense of freedom in your heart when when you know that uh, you've you've really said what's true and in, in what's true in your heart and. I think anybody, uh, anybody who either doesn't believe in God or believes in God, I think telling the truth is a is a practice that will bring life uh, to every situation. It's not easy. It's very risky. You could even die from telling the truth. If, you mm-hmm. know, uh, it's, there's there are risks, but I do think that um, it's a it's it's a value that we value highly. Um, and it really works it just works yeah I think the word risk risky is important it, it is risky to be to tell the truth but it also it's important that you have a a place that's safe because it's you know we um, we create groups here at the university where I work and but that group has to be safe for all people in it. So you can't ask people to do something they're not ready to do. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in a marriage. You have to create safety. And safety is created sometimes by going to counseling together where a counselor can see what's going on between you. Mm. So. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So I guess moving kind of towards the end of our time here, um, what are some like next steps that you'd offer to someone listening to this and they're realizing, oh shoot, <laughs> I haven't processed my family of origin at all. Mm. I haven't told the whole truth. I haven't you know, exposed or learned my hidden heart. Um, I don't feel safety between me and my spouse or me and my friends 
So what are kind of the next steps in cultivating kind of what we've been talking about, cultivating a, a wholeness? What are the next steps for someone who's listening to this? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is there's great value in talking to somebody that has already overcome something. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about last session, I, Jim and I both are involved in treasures and, and outreach to women coming out of the sex industry, coming out of trafficking. And these women have a lot to overcome. But having people that understand their story, that, that are in the same place, helps them move towards the goal quicker. And it's the same way for us in marriage. If you're, you're having a difficult time in marriage, find a couple that's further along mm-hmm. that you feel safe with. There's no reason that we have to suffer alone. We can find someone that has, that's further along than we are <laughs> that can help us take the next steps. And it doesn't have to cost money. Sometimes we don't have the money for counseling, which mm-hmm. is what would be the number one thing I would recommend. But when we don't have that, we can find people that have gone a little further. And if it's just a man, a man finding someone you look up to that has overcome an addiction, that's a place to start. It's yeah. one step at a time. And, you know, I think uh, I think just learning how to ask the question, what don't I know that I need to know that if I knew would change things? And, and either asking yourself that question of your heart or of God, um, that just opens you up to the possibilities. Um, and, and that knowledge that you need, what, I want, what don't I know? Because I think knowledge is vocabulary. Vocabulary is meaning and, and, and definition and just having all that, you know, more words to explain what's happening inside of me and uh, to, to be able to identify and all that um, is really important. And, and I would also say that there are so many good things that have been written, so mm-hmm. many good books. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, un- Unwanted, we mentioned last time, and uh, Created for Connection is another book. And yeah. Is that by Sue Johnson? Yeah. yeah. Uh, just so many good resources. And, and, and frankly, so much on YouTube, frankly. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of good yeah. TED Talks, Brene Brown, mm-hmm. you know, on yeah. vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And just there's, man, there's so much good content out there. And, and just be open to learning uh, more about Absolutely. yourself and, and more yeah. about what makes people, what makes you tick, what makes you broken, what makes you whole. How can you get to the wholeness uh, and all that and uh, whatever that means, uh, you know, because I think it's going to be very individual for each each person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of, some of my students, some of them that you know, Colton, they <laughs> they struggled with porn addiction and all they did was, well, let's get together and read this book together, mm-hmm. Unwanted. Mm-hmm. And that was a beginning of yeah. making some decisions for their own good. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be something major. It can be just, let's just read this book together and yeah, see to where God much. takes us. Yeah, yeah I think so, so many people are scared because of one, oh, I can't afford it. You know, we're tight on money. Okay, well, can you afford dinner? Mm-hmm. <laughs> can you afford a, yeah. a $10 book? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but two, I, I think for couples who are, especially in the church, like, I know everyone has a limit on how many people they can pour into, but making yourself available. If you know, like, hey, we've gone through some stuff. We've overcome some things. Um, Because I have so many friends that it's like, 
I just don't know anyone older that I could talk to about this. And I'm like, well, don't you have older couples in your church? I'm like, yeah, but I just don't, I haven't really connected with any of them. And some of that's definitely on the millennials end of just like, (laughs) they only connect with millennials and they don't know how to talk to older people. Um, But on the other end as well, it's like, what would it look like for older couples, like what you guys have been doing for a good majority of your guys' marriage um, to like find younger people, younger couples and be like, hey, what if we just start getting dinner? Yeah. Um, Like once a month even. Um, and the reality of how much that could change an individual, a person, a marriage, I think would, would blow people's mind. Yeah. It's so simple. Um, it doesn't, doesn't require much, just like you guys are saying. And you don't have to pay for a $120 counseling session, um, which I wish counseling was cheaper. Yeah. Um, but there's counseling is a newer thing in a sense of a vocational thing. I mean, people in the past, counseling was, you know, having good conversations with your family, yeah. having good conversations right. with your Absolutely. spouse, having good conversations with your yeah. community. The problem is we don't do that anymore. Yeah. So we created a job that can really focus in and do that, yeah. which is awesome. I love that. Um, but it is possible to, to do it outside of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess moving from that, unless you guys had anything else to add on to that. I do want to say something about shame and guilt because yes. if um, – if someone is not seeing um, victory, they're not seeing themselves overcome, uh, shame and guilt will keep them from talking to somebody. And so we have to be safe places to let them be in their story. If they're gonna if they're gonna struggle with porn the next twenty years, we still have to love them. Mm-hmm. Shame is not the answer. Putting mm-hmm. shame on another person or even uh, well, it's just some of the things we say can make a person feel more shame. So we have to be careful that we don't do that. And what would you say to people who would say, we are, we're uh, beating down shame too much. Shame could be a really good thing. Well, sometimes it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Shame can be a motivator. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But shame and guilt are not from God. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think he... He allows us to feel those things, mm-hmm. but we're called to love one another, and love is a, is really the true change agent. Mm-hmm. I, but I would also say that relapse is part of recovery. Hmm. Yeah, that and that if you can help somebody understand that who's struggling and who's beating themselves up because they relapsed, you know, if they, if you just look at it as well, no, this is part of it. This is how it yeah. works. Well, and even outside of addiction in any sin yeah right it's weird that when we get to like porn it's like okay you decided to stop cold turkey you stopped (laughs) when it's like okay did you stop being a glutton (laughs) like it just the next day like no this is a a lifelong pursuit maybe you can stop a certain behavior um but yeah i I think that's big especially with shame i think not being from god in the sense that shame is telling someone that they are the negative thing that they're doing that if you are lustful then that's who you are at your core. It's not that you just did something bad and we can love you and work through that with you. It's viewing someone inherently as broken, as damaged, as wicked, which again, in the Christian scheme, we are all of those things, but our job is to call what we really are in Jesus, which Mm -hmm. is beloved, adopted, pure, sanctified, righteous, all these different things. And so it's that kind of the in-between of like, how do we, God allows us to experience some of those things because those could be change agents, yeah. but he's not saying you are that thing because he's, yeah. he's called you by a different name now. Um, he no longer calls you by those names because you aren't. And so I guess for you guys to kind of close on a last question, what is your hope for the church? You guys literally just spoke <laughs> at a church yesterday and 
I know you guys have feelings about the church. What is your hope for the church? It doesn't have to be systematically on a, a large scale, but maybe just simply, what is your hope for the church and actually <clears throat> doing what we were just talking about for this last however long it's been? What is your hope for the church? Um, <clears throat> so my hope is that we would figure out how to incorporate the act of confession in the average worship service. We, we just do not give people a chance to stand up and say, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. Well, it wouldn't work with the program, you no, know. If yeah. We, got, if we <laughs> so, got everything down to the minute. We don't have time for confession. And, and I think, you know, the Catholics have something on the Protestants in that they really do. They make a place for it. They have a room for it. There's a place in their, in their um, tradition for it. Uh, we Protestants have put it aside, and we, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we, don't, we don't practice that at all. And I, I, and I know that it's risky, and I know that it has to be kind of contained, mm-hmm. but just to give people a chance, whether it's in, in, even in small groups, I think it would yeah. be if that discipline, even in a small group, was started and modeled uh, in the church community, I think that we would see lives changed. I think talking on what Roe said earlier, I think in the middle of this episode, talking about moralism in terms of I think we have given up genuine community for the sake of moralism. So when we are involved in small groups, we are just to cheer one another on in terms of like, wow, your business is going great. That's awesome. Oh, the ministry is doing this. It's awesome. But it's never about what are the negative things that happen in this week. It's just positive moralism moving forward. And if you have done bad things, ah, man, just pray about it. Move on. Yeah kind of thing yeah. um so i think that's huge jim so I'm not talking huge. about triggers and we don't have that conversation we just we mm-hmm. just pray about it and move on mm-hmm. so that whole discipline of confession and which is really telling the truth truth telling mm-hmm. uh is really what i would like to see happen and along with confession i would say just con- as we said before on the last podcast um churches need to find a, a way to have honest conversation around um, porn addiction, sexual brokenness, which Mm -hmm. is in very few churches we're really actually talking about what that looks like, how it's affecting marriages. Or they're just talking about, here's what the Bible says about it, and that's framed in sin and not sin. It's like, okay, guys, this isn't sin. I'm not even sure we're doing that anymore. (laughs) We're just kind of avoiding the subject (laughs) altogether. And yet we are seeing marriages... By the thousands, mm-hmm. uh, hundred thousands falling apart from mm-hmm. from porn addiction and affairs mm-hmm. and just general general sexual brokenness. So yeah, which is crazy because I need. think millennials, if you look at the data, we're not getting married yeah right. until much later, yeah. and it's much fewer because I think we saw in Generation X and the baby boomers just divorce ravaged yeah. marriages, but they also like mm-hmm. if you grew up in a divorced home. It was devastating. So you're like, I'm not doing that, so I'm just not even going to get marriage. But what they're doing is they're giving up a really good gift just because of their fear of doing it wrong. Um, So wanting to have churches be a place where divorce is the one thing, not that we like talk about a lot, but we're talking about all the things that are underneath a divorce, Um, all the things that lead to it, all the things that lead to separation. Yeah, And that could be another podcast, Colton Howard, Gen Z and millennials and... uh, (laughs) how they approach truthfulness because yes. it's a, a little bit different for them than <laughs> a big other gap. generations. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I think the gen- Generation X and Baby Boomers are pretty similar in thought, and then Millennials and Gen Z are pretty similar in thought. And between those four generations, and between those two, each of them, huge, yeah. huge gap. They're so. very much affected by social media. And, yep. And, uh, and porn's not no longer like on a, a a movie or a website. Even it's on Instagram. Yeah. Right. It's on yeah, your social media. Everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You do, it's not like you have to go to the store anymore. So it, even in that, it's just different ways of talking about. It. But yeah. that's <laughs> let's not yeah. get on for a rabbit trail. Um, Sweet. This has been awesome. We've talked for a while. You guys, I'm sure, are so done with talking about Family of Origin. (laughs) You could take a few weeks off, and then you'll get asked to speak again somewhere or by me. Um, So thanks again, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Colin. We hope that Roe and Jim's words today gave you a hope for your sexuality, a hope for your porn addiction, a hope for so much that you may be going through beyond what you could have ever imagined. We hope that this episode just started your journey in discovering your family of origin and how that relates to how you are interacting with people now. As always, we want to acknowledge that this episode may have triggered you. It may have brought up old sexual abuse. It may have brought up old negative sexual behaviors. It may have even stirred up old wounds. With all of these things, talk to someone you trust about it. Don't hold these things just to yourself. Bring people into your life and your sexuality. And again, if you could leave us a review or share this episode with someone you think it might impact, this all greatly helps us do what we are trying to do on this podcast, which is bring hope to those who are struggling with their sexuality, who are struggling with their sexual lives, who are struggling with even the idea of what it means to be sexual. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thank you.